You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is Laura. I've been a part of Free City for seven-ish years. Um, I currently am in the Topeka City group, and my husband and I serve in kids. I am reading from Luke 19, 1 through 10, which can be found on page 825 in the Black Bibles by your seats. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore them fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, the sunshine. And um, Lord, I just pray that today as Casey comes and delivers the message, that you would fill our ears with your words and you would fill our hearts with the constant reminder that you are our friend and you are seeking after us even when we feel we are hiding from you. Um, Lord, I pray for Central. I pray that as the students walk these halls, that um, your presence would linger in those halls with them and that they would be reminded that they have a friend in you and that there is nothing that they can do that can separate them from your love. And there is nothing that they could have ever done that would set them aside from your friendship. And Lord, I pray for the teachers in the school that you would give them just a reassurance that they can make it through this next semester, that um, they are called here to be in these kids' lives for a reason, and you would give them the energy and the ability to carry out this end of the school year um, with just confidence that they're where they're supposed to be. And Lord, I just pray um, for our church as we continue to read your word that we would um, be receptive to what you have to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Casey. I'm one of uh, the pastors here. And uh, if you're with us for the first time, we're glad you're with us on this uh, balmy 11-degree morning. Um, and we, uh, man, we're wrapping up uh, just this month. We've been focusing to draw attention uh, on the new Bible reading plan that we're doing called Seeing Jesus Together. And uh, we're selling journals that go along with that. And it's just something that we're trying to make a central part of our discipleship. We've always had a Bible reading plan, but the journals kind of help uh, bring that together. And we're hoping that that kind of lines things up. You know, so if you think about it this way, 
Man, we come on Sunday morning uh, to worship the Lord and to remind our hearts. Like if you're a believer, you come to remind your hearts that there's a reality that's more real than this stage. Uh, It's more real than everything that you touched or interacted in this world. And it's that the God of the universe has intercepted your life. And that there's all kinds of things in this life that are good things, but they draw our attention, our affection away from Christ. And so we come together to hear uh, one another sing truths. We we come to hear that that Jesus is better and that he's made a way for us. We come to remind one another. We come to hear prayers prayed over us. We come to have scripture read over us. And then we come to interact in the scriptures together. We come to remind ourselves uh, that God has made a way. But then we have these things called city groups. And city groups, uh, man, they're midweek kind of like Bible studies. Uh, They're probably more about formation than anything else. That you come together with God's people. You eat a meal together. And if you've been coming for years and you've never brought anything to help with that meal, shame on you. Bring something. I mean, it's always, you you can always just bring a bag of chips. I mean, that's, that's kind of a safe move. Uh, Or if you're health conscious, just bring a veggie tray. I mean, you're just like, hey, I just care. But we, we come together We want to eat together. We want to get under the scriptures together. We want to know one another. And then from there, man, we really pray that you get in what we call a life transformation group. And this is where uh, the CNGs together really starts to kind of meet the road, kind of the rubber meet the road, where we start to let the scriptures read us. We start to try to bring ourselves to the scriptures. Man, this is how I am. I'm afraid. Or this is how I am. I'm discontent. Or this is what's going on in my life. Jesus, I need you to speak through the scriptures into my heart. I need you to align me that I can see what you're doing, what's really real. And then in Life Transformation Group, man, we share that with one another. And we pray for one another. And uh, we help each other fight sin. And the goal of fighting sin is this, that you would take God's side to fight yourself. And in that we find hope, man, and God wants to use this. And so all the way through January, we just preached selected verses from the Bible reading plan. So I'd have to do a reminder of why we're here. Next week, we're back in Matthew. And uh, we're going to be there for about 10 weeks in the next section of Matthew um, and I, I've been forgetting to make this announcement. I've been getting in trouble. Um, so we did an end of the year, a year in campaign, and we're trying to raise $100,000. And uh, we, we raised just over $90,000, which is incredible. Um, and so, man, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Put yourself on the back right there. Um, and so if you're like, man, if you're like, man, I just want to accomplish that goal. I mean, you can still be a part of that. Just accomplish that goal. Push us right over the top. Uh, but like some of the background on that, like I want you to know, like I met with another pastor um, and we were talking about this idea. I heard him talk about it. And he's a good friend. And so just kind of taking the end of the year to kind of draw some attention, and draw some needs. And so we, we met together and kind of helped outline it. And he said, you know, a good place to start if you've never done this is to take roughly what is like one month giving and just start there. Try to raise that. And uh, I looked at that and I was like, man, that's not even going to come near to help us. We need more than that. Uh, And then he said, well, maybe you should double it. And I was like, man, that's not even going to come help. We got to do more than that. And so I was like, man, I think we need to raise $100,000. And he was like, well, I mean, you can try. And, um, And so, man, you guys... I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of our church. Um, And so just a reminder of what we're doing with that. 
Man, 20,000 of that, or maybe some more of that, but for sure 20,000 of that is going to go directly to church planning in Topeka. That's going to happen this fall. We're already, uh, Ethan and Sky are already working really, really hard um, building the core group that's already there. We have faithful, faithful people there. And uh, that's going to come costly. Like, uh, I mean, it's just, that's how ministry happens. Um, we have to give of our treasure. And so that's going to come costly from us as a church and from so many other people. Um, but it's for the glory of God. Man, it's that we want to see the gospel proclaimed, and I believe every community on the planet does better with more gospel-proclaiming churches, and we've said that stuff, and now we have to, like, you know, put our money where our mouth is, um, however that helps, uh, but we're, we're, so that's what we're doing, and so part of that's going that way. Um, we uh, are setting some of that aside. We want to set about $50,000 aside that if God ever opens the door uh, to, you know, a, a building um, or a place that we would have start saving money for that. Um, and then just some of that is just for future staffing. We help with seminary. We do different stuff like that. And so, man, man, thank you. You guys, uh, man, you bless your pastor's heart. Um, and so, man, thank you. So I've been, I've been supposed to announce that last two weeks, and I just forget because I get up here, I get so excited. Um, one more announcement. Next Saturday, we're having a family meeting. And so that's uh, we call a members meeting or family meeting. Saturday from 5 to 6 o'clock right here, it's going to be a time that we come together and we uh, pray together, we sing together, and then just a time that we share some information of kind of what's going on uh, with Free City. And then we break up and we'll pray. It's going to be an hour. It'll be fast. Uh, we'll have, you can bring your kids. We'll have stuff for kids. And so, like, right now, if you're like, man, family meeting, members, what does that mean? This is the widest road that we can open up. Like, if you, we are relaunching membership. Uh, We kind of fell out of that through pandemic. And so if you have gone through Discover Free City and you have been a member, come back. We're going to talk through that. We're going to sign covenants again just because we need to start over because our records are terrible. Um, And then the, the second thing, if you're like, Man, I've been through Discover Free City, but I was supposed to send my testimony in and have a membership uh, interview, which is scary. It's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, Shame on you, but you can come uh, and we'll just get started with that. Or if you're like, you know, membership kind of sounds cool. Just come. Uh, Then we'll tell you you have to go through Discover Free City. Um, But this is a wide road that we can come together and pray. And so, man, we really want you to come. Um, And so that's Saturday. And here we are in Luke 19. So let's take a look at Luke 19. And so Luke 19 is a pretty familiar passage. You know, if you grew up in in church or going to VBS, you probably sang something about Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, Wee little man was he, as I raise this up. Um, And so you you might know the song. uh, And sometimes we're so familiar with, with a story that we miss some of the movements of the story and how profound it talks to us about what it takes to be saved, what it takes for Jesus to intercept your life and to cross you over from death to life to make you a child of God. It gives us the progressions of what that looks like. But it also shows how much controversy, how much controversy can it, can exist in the movement of Jesus to people's lives. Like, like what this deals is, this is dealing with the table controversies. Like, if you're familiar with uh, the Gospels, Jesus was always getting criticism about who he shared a table with. 
Like he was always getting criticism about who he sat down and ate and drank with. He was always saying, like, the, the religious people were saying, man, why do you hang out with those kind of people? And, and so we see this right here. And, and in that culture, like, to eat with someone was kind of more formally intimate. Like, it was a statement of, like, I identify with you. I want to be with you. And so people were always upset at the kind of people that Jesus would identify with that he would enter in to say, let me identify with you. But he wouldn't leave them the same. He would change them. But, it, it, you know, it's not altogether different from us. You know, in our, in our culture, like, eating together is a sign of, like, oneness. I mean, we use it as a sign to say, like, hey, I want to treat you different from other people. Like, I want to have fellowship with you. You know, we use food, you know, the code, Buddy the Elf, you know, food, the code. We use it like to try to say, I want to have a certain type of relationship with you. And so like, if you, if you need help with this, like, listen, like if you want to date, you have to ask, like it just, it has to happen. Like you have to just come out and ask. You can't show up at a restaurant. The hostess is not going to like pair you up with someone and that's going to work out. You have to just ask. You have to say, so do you want to get food? You know the code. You know, and I can't tell, you might hear different things. You might hear no. Like they might say no and then you just got to say, man, you win some, you lose some, better luck next time. There's plenty of fish in the sea. What doesn't kill you will make you cry on Valentine's Day. Like whatever we say to make ourselves feel better about it, like you might hear no, like that happens. Or you might hear yes. And then you gotta make a plan. And like I Googled cheap date ideas and I'm just telling you there were like 70 of them. Only like three of them were good ideas. One of them was like buy a lottery ticket together. And if you go that route, like I, and you win, like we're trying to push over this 90,000, 100,000 thing. Just go ahead and, you know, hack that money up. But like, like there's different ideas, but like get a plan. You might hear I'm busy. Now this is a tricky one. The I'm busy can mean like I have a previous obligation, ask again, or it can mean how dare you ask, I will always be busy when you ask, don't ask again. And it's hard to know which one it is. And so like, good luck, may the odds be ever in your favor. But like what we see in Jesus's life is he sat down at tables with people and said, I want to identify with you. And it upset so many people. Like we actually did a series where we just looked at all the different people that Jesus ate with. Like we could look at this, like finish this statement. Like the son of man came to what? Now theologically, there are several ways that this can be answered. But strictly biblically, there's only a few. Like you could say this, Mark 10, 45. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to ransom us from sin, Satan, and death. He came to buy us back. Or you could say what we find in Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or strictly biblically, you could say what we see in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. That the Son of Man came eating and drinking. 
And so all of this, like the first two statements tell us why he came. And simply put, he came to save sinners. He came to be a savior. He didn't come to be like a moral example that we could hopefully aspire, although he is a moral example. He came for far more than that. He became because our predicament is far worse than what we think. He came to save. But then the last one tells us the manner in which he came. He came to interact in an intimate way with people who are far from him before they even choose him. He came to intercept lives and he came in a way that says, I'm here for you. And so Zacchaeus, he's one of these eating and drinking scandals. Like in Luke 19, like we're going to focus on Jesus eating with Zacchaeus and we're going to look at the different transitions of how Zacchaeus gets saved. And it's meant to like this, that you would look at your life and say, man, have I ever had some of those transitions in my life? Do I see those things change? And if you're a Christian, that you would look in your life and you would ask this question, is that still happening daily in my life? Because it's not just what saved us, it's also what saves us. And so let's take a look at this. If you're taking notes, we're just going to have these three things. What did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus looked past the crowd. And Zacchaeus let Jesus in. And so let's look at it. Look at verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho. And so Jesus, and Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And so in verses one through four, Zacchaeus gets a plan. And what's the plan? Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he wanted to see what Jesus was like. He had heard so much about Jesus and he wanted to see him himself. But the crowd kept pushing him away. So he climbed up a tree just to see Jesus. And in that culture, like when it says he climbed up a tree, it's saying, man, if you really want to see Jesus there's going to be a call that you must humble yourself. That, that you must act in such a way or admit something about you that says, man, I don't have it all together. I'm in need. And there's a desperation in my life that is leading me or making me willing that other people might scoff at me. So a lot of commentaries talk about like how undignified it was for a man in that culture to, to climb a tree. Like they go on to say like how much more insulting and humiliating it would be for a man of Zacchaeus's wealth and status to climb a tree. But like it's not hard for us to imagine that this would seem kind of ridiculous. Like, I mean, picture like, you know, like being around Allen Fieldhouse and the team is coming in and they're loading up and the crowds are kind of just want to see the team walk in all dressed up, you know, the champion walk or or whatever. And then you look over and you see the dean of students like up in a tree, just kind of looking around like, I just really want to see. Like you would say, man, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. He or she has, has... did a dissertation so they wouldn't have to climb a tree to see the team so they get seatbacks to see the team. It wouldn't happen. But I mean, even more than that, like, 
just when was the last time you climbed a tree? Like, as an adult, when was the last time you climbed a, a, a tree? Like, my kids climb the tree, trees all the time. They rate trees, and they rate climbing ability. They have a, a, a very specific structure to say, oh, that's a really good tree. That's like a five. And so they talk about it. But the last time I climbed a tree was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were hanging a platform a swing in the tree that we got for Christmas. And so my family gathered around as I climbed up the tree and I got all sort of unsolicited advice from my expert kids where they said, hey, grab that branch, raise your foot up, higher, higher. I'm like, my, my foot won't go any higher. I looked down and there was criticalness in my kids' eyes of like, you're not very good. And I'm like, you want me to hang onto this branch? There's no way that's gonna hold my weight. And then I looked and I saw my wife's eyes and I could tell she was thinking, do we have life insurance that covers stupidity? But like, when was the last time you climbed a tree? Like maybe not for humility reasons, but like when was the last time you went out of your way and just climbed a tree? When I was in college, I was in my fraternity, I was fraternity educator and we had um, a big, big brother event or a little bro- a brother event, it's, you know, an event to make us like one another. And uh, so we would usually like, you know, go somewhere. And one of our guys from Eastern Oklahoma said, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go to my farm and do tree falling. And I was like, I don't know what tree falling is. Like, like chop down trees, felling. Did you say it wrong? And then, no, no, tree falling. And so he had a video of himself doing tree falling to help us. I don't know if it's an official word or not, but what you do is you climb to the very top of a coniferous tree up to where you're like, you know, it can't hold you very well. And you get to the top and then you just let go and you fall. And on your way down, you hit all the branches. So it slows you down so you don't die when you hit the ground. And it's fun. And so we X-dayed that, even though that, that video went, I mean, everybody was like, yeah, man, we should have gone tree falling. I'm like, no, no, we shouldn't have gone tree falling. When was the last time you climbed a tree? Skydiving. <laughs> you know, in that culture, it could be undignified. In this culture, it could be unwise. But the whole point is that Chaos was desperate to see Jesus And so he sacrificed his dignity to see Jesus by climbing a tree. To become a Christian, you have to be willing to sacrifice your dignity or what people think about you. Or you at least have to be willing to admit that you can't do it yourself. There has to be a humility that sets in. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 10, in verse 13 through 16, Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. Now, listen, I don't know if you've noticed, but when someone says you're acting like a child, they're not trying to compliment you. They're saying things like you need to grow up in your understanding of how the world works or you need to take a hold of yourself and have more control in the situation or you just need to figure life out. You can't just keep passing through, trusting every turn in life is right. But when Jesus said, if you want a relationship with me, you have to become like a child. You have to say, man, it's not about trying harder. It's not about doing it myself. It's not about having more power and control. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to admit that you're not strong enough, smart enough, that you don't have it all together. You have to admit that you have need. Have you done that? 
Like, like, has there been a time in your life that you looked at the weight of your sin or the outcome and you realized before holy God, there's not hope for you and you can't just undo it? Like you can't just talk yourself out of it. Like you can't just look around and say, man, it's really no big deal. That you have to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need help. Like a moment when you say, man, I can't just become a better person. Like, sure, I messed up, but look at all the good that I've done. You say, that's not sufficient. Or you can't just respin what happened and say, man, any normal person would have done what I did, so it must be okay. Or you can't just look at other people and say, well, I'm better than them. Like, that's not enough. Like, you have to come to a place that says, I'm not enough. Yeah, and there's lots of ways that our culture is gonna look at you and just be like, that's ridiculous. Like, the world's gonna look at you and say things like, man, you really believe in prayer and demons and angels and a God savior who died on a cross and rose again? Or, or they're gonna say, like, you really believe in the creator God who's gonna come again? Or you really believe in sin? Like, that's our deepest problem, just sin, not misunderstanding. Like, they're gonna look at that and there's gonna be a scoffing of that. But when you answer yes, You, in essence, are climbing in a tree, sacrificing your dignity in the eyes of others for the sake of the cross because you want Jesus more than you want your dignity. Zacchaeus first climbed a tree, sacrificing his pride to be saved. You must humble yourself to step toward salvation. The second thing, uh, Zacchaeus looked beyond the crowd. Like to be saved, you must look past you know, the religious, self-righteous crowd or how you might be perceiving them. You must look past about people who might have heard you. You must look past people and you must look to Jesus. Like the crowd that was pushing Zacchaeus back hated him. They hated him. And in some ways they hated him for good cause. Like... <clears throat> They hated him because he had turned their back on their nation, that he had maybe you know, exploited them for profit. Like they hated him, they had evidence for him, but they looked at him and they said, there's no place for you to get close to Jesus. And if you're like kicking the tires on Jesus and you're looking around, listen, you're gonna find inconsistent people that you can put the term hypocrite on. Like you're not going to have to look hard to dismiss the burden on your heart that says, man, I think I need Jesus and I need to learn it when you see inconsistent people. But you're going to have to look past inconsistent people and deal with who Jesus is. If you dismiss Jesus because of inconsistent people, you will miss Jesus. See, Zacchaeus humbled himself and he climbed a tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus looked beyond people who had hurt him to see what Jesus was really like. Like he was saying things like this, like I've heard so many things about Jesus. I've heard that he opened the eyes of the blind. I've heard that he healed the sick. I heard that he touched lepers and leprosy left them. I heard that he protected people like prostitutes. I heard that he would eat with people that others disapproved of. I've heard so much about Jesus and I wanna know what Jesus is like. When, when Zacchaeus humbled himself and looked past people who'd hurt him, he got more than a glimpse of Jesus. Look at verse five. In verse five, it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. 
like Jesus invited himself over, it's actually kind of rude. Like he said, listen, I'm not inviting you over. I want to come into your house. What are you cooking? What can you offer me? I'm actually going to bring like 12 of my best friends with me. What do you got for me? He didn't just get a glimpse of Jesus. He got a Jesus who says, man, I want to enter into your life. I must stay into your house. This is what we see all over the New Testament. Like Jesus loves to enter into the lives of those whom the crowd looks past or tries to keep away. Like if you just were flipping through your Bible, you might look at Luke 5 and you see like Levi, the tax collector, like Jesus wants to sit with him. Or you might see in Luke 7, like it was the prostitute who broke into Simon the Pharisee's dinner party and starts anointing Jesus's feet and starts weeping and starts wiping his feet with his hair. Like you would see Jesus act like this. Or you might read about in Luke 10 when he tells the story and he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story and everybody was so upset upset. How dare you talk about them in such a loving way? That's not what those people are like. Jesus loved to pull people who are beyond the Christian crowd in. Jesus keeps reaching out to outsiders. Religion says be good enough and then you can gain access to God. But the gospel says that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And so he comes to people just like Zacchaeus, who will humble themselves and say, I want to see Jesus. Look at verse six. It says, so he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, so the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Like this, this word grumbled, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a compound word. And so it starts off with dia, which means through. And then the word is kind of like an onomatopoeia. It's gaguzo. And so, I mean, you just kind of picture like gaguzo. I can't believe it, gaguzo. And everyone kind of rumbles. But then the dia, it means throughout. And so throughout the crowd, penetrating so many hearts that it saturated everyone. There was a sense inside of the broken hearts of people of like, he's bad. You can't do that. A grumbling, murmuring complaint. They looked at Zacchaeus and they said, man, I hate that guy. They loved to hate people like Zacchaeus. It was so easy to grumble about people like Zacchaeus. They hated him because he was a greedy tax collector who supported and worked for an occupying Roman regime. This crowd didn't see room for people like Zacchaeus, to come around Jesus. Man, man, today, like, we hear, like, that's a, it's a huge hindrance for people coming to Christ. Like, I mean, you've heard people say it where they're like, man, I'd be a Christian if it weren't for all those self-righteous jerks or, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with those people. And, and, and maybe you've said that and then you actually pressed in and then you found inside of yourself that, man, there's a lot of hypocrisy in you too. Like, if you want to know the secret, there is a hypocrite in all of us. 
There is this deep-seated, self-righteous hypocrite that loves to stand up and say, I object when it seems like someone is getting what you think you deserve or they didn't earn it or like they have access and all of a sudden you say, Man, I did this and I worked so hard and look what's happening. See, like, when you say things, like, if, I mean, if you're even saying that right now, like, man, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I just know that I look around and I see a bunch of hypocrites and, man, I don't know if I want to be like, first, like, you have to realize how self-righteous that is. Like, I'm way better than these judgmental jerks. Like, that's being judgmental. The second, man, looking past people and how they've hurt you to see Jesus is looking to the scriptures and asking, what is Jesus like? Jesus, will you show yourself to me? I wanna know what you're like. And then when you interact with the gospel, you find that Jesus came to save hypocritical people and to change hypocritical people because that's the only kind of people there are. And so we see this movement. We, we see Jesus go straight to Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, man, I need to come into your house. Zacchaeus climbed a tree, sacrificing his pride to be saved. There has to be a humility that comes in. I can't do it myself. Zacchaeus looked past a judgmental crowd to see Jesus. You have to go to the center. You can't just say, man, I don't know about Christianity. What does that mean about relationships? Or what does that mean about how I might view things? What does that mean about voting? What does that mean? You can't make a decision about Jesus outside. You have to go to the middle. You have to say, what is Jesus like? You have to look over many, many things to investigate Christ. But then Jesus has to come in. Zacchaeus let Jesus in. To be saved, you must bring Jesus home into the whole of your life. It is an all or nothing thing. You have to bring him in. Like Zacchaeus brought him home, Jesus has to enter in and it's all barred. Like no bars access. And so like, first off, like Jesus invites himself over. We already talked kind of rude. Like my kids ask this all the time. They'll say, hey, can you text so-and-so's mom and ask if I can go over to their house? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. But Zacchaeus receives him with, with joy. And then we see Zacchaeus repent. And so, so look at this progression. First, verse five, it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so salvation starts when the God of the universe, Jesus steps near to you. And then he says, I must come in. Like where that says, I must stay, the word stay, it's the word minnow, which actually means to abide. It's used a lot in the New Testament, but it talks about how the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you and he abides and he gets over everything. He kind of just seeps into every corner. And so Jesus is saying, I must come dwell with you. I must come saturate your life. To be saved is to drive the gospel into the daily rhythms of your life. Like he's not coming for your Sunday activities. 
Like he wants your work and your hobbies. He wants your sadness and your hurts. He wants your insecurities and your hopes. He wants your relationships, your joys, your dreams, your ambitions. He wants your laugh and your tears. He's coming to abide in all of you. He's coming to seep into your relationships of how you interact. He's coming to take charge of your sexuality and your emotions. He's coming to come into every room. And so you can't say, Jesus, come into the living room. But man, don't go down that hallway. That hallway's my place. You, you can't say, Jesus, man, come on in. But man, this, this room, this place is just for me. It is hands off. I don't let anyone in. All of a sudden, Jesus will enter into the foot, but he's going to go straight to that door. And you're going to feel this discomfort as he starts to knock on that door. See, Jesus says, I must abide in your house. All access. The picture of salvation is you see Jesus as Lord and you sign the bottom of the document and then he fills it in as he wants. He came to ransom you he came to redeem you he has bought you and so first jesus comes near second like zacchaeus receives him in and it says verse six so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully he received him with joy it doesn't mean there wasn't some discomfort but he was so astonished like jesus you would come to my life We see him, he doesn't draw boundaries. He doesn't say, you can come into this part of my life, but leave the relationships or leave my money or leave my ambitions out of it. See, Jesus comes for all access or he comes for nothing. But the good news is the most access that you can give him, he'll step in and he'll just press in deeper and deeper. Third, Zacchaeus repents of wrongdoing. Look at verse eight. It says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Like he's giving half of his possessions away. He's quadrupling anything that he wrongfully took. And if you were listening to that, you knew him. You're like, oh man, you're going to quadruple a lot. You probably wrongfully took a lot. But there's a repentance that's happening. And so Jesus comes near. Zacchaeus receives him in. And the first response is like, all of a sudden, parts of my life, I have to hold up and I say, it was wrong. Like you see this movement. And then finally, Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, Zacchaeus is saved. Verse nine, it says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also was a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The order of this is everything. Jesus did not come to the tree and say, all right, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come enter into your life after you do a really good job and fix all of your problems. I'm going to come into your life after you pay everyone you ripped off back. Or I'm going to come back into your life after you forgive that person that you said you couldn't forgive. Or I'm going to come into your life after you fix those problems. And I know about that secret room and I know the things you're hiding in your life. He didn't say, once you get that 
you know, your house, tidy up, then I'll step in. Jesus says, I must stay with you. I must abide with you. I must step into the room of your, or the house of your life and seep into every crack and every shadow as my light expands. The order is so important. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The gospel says Jesus is seeking you to come in. He's seeking you to come in and to saturate the whole of you, pushing himself into every dark corner. He's seeking you to step in to give you the opportunity of repentance. The opportunity to say, I know it's wrong and I hand it to you. The opportunity you would never do on your own until the grace of God steps into the house of your life. And then this says that you're a child of God. Just like that. The way Jesus says, he says a son of Abraham, but that means you're now a Christian, a new creation, a son or daughter of God Almighty, like you are saved. Listen to these descriptions. All of these things happened to Zacchaeus in the moment that Jesus declared him forgiven. Like look at these things. So John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In that moment, the proclamation, Jesus hadn't died yet, and so it hadn't been secured. He hadn't resurrected yet. But when he said, this is a child of Abraham, salvation has come today, he says, listen, you are now a child of God. All of my inheritance, it's all mine, but I tear it up to give you equal parts. You now share in the inheritance that is mine. Or John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In that moment, when he said salvation has come, he crossed over from death to life. He was alive to God. He was alive to the God of the universe. Or a 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. New, unspoiled, brand new. And this was just beginning of 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In that moment when repentance happened, Something happened inside of Zacchaeus that crossed him over from death to life, that made him a son of God Almighty, that gave him access to God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was coming. Something happened, but then something happened in his life that was transforming him from one degree to another. And so then he said, man, I give half. If I've wronged anyone, I will restore He started to do exactly what God had already done in him. To become a Christian, we have to be like Zacchaeus and we have to step on our pride, get past inconsistent people and we have to be willing to bring Jesus in and every door that he knocks on, man, we just let him in because he's proven to be trustworthy. And to change from one degree to another, 
we do that every day. Every day as the Spirit of God points at something, man, we humble ourselves and we agree with the Spirit of God. And every time the Spirit of God starts to knock on a door, we, to the best of our ability, open that door up. And so the question is, is Jesus knocking on a door in your life? Let let me pray for us. And I was gonna ask some questions and then we'll move to communion, but bow your head and let's pray. If you were gonna give a name to the door that Jesus is knocking on, what would it be? Like just being still, like would you say, man, I feel like Jesus is knocking on an unforgiveness door, like I just refuse to forgive what happened, or, or is Jesus knocking on like a I'm angry door, I've been hurt and I can't let go? Or, or is Jesus knocking on some sort of like, you know, just I'm not content, like I'm just uncomfortable, it doesn't seem to be right? Or is Jesus knocking on a door where like it's something that's really beautiful and you really, really love it and maybe you've worked really, really hard, but he's just saying, will you hold that to me? Like the question is, man, as we move to communion or we move to prayer or we stay where we are, like to respond to the scriptures, like is there a room in my life that the Holy Spirit of God has stepped in to abide and I feel like he's mounting pressure on that door? Do you have the courage to name it, to open it, and to say, Jesus, I trust you more? That right there is a posture of repentance. Lord, I pray that you would make us just courageous, courageous people. And Lord, as we even come for communion, like we're saying this as someone who has been adopted as a son or daughter, as someone who has passed from death to life, as someone who is now a new creation being transformed from one degree to another by the spirit of Lord, I bring that open door the best that I can, if I can just crack it open a little bit, I'm opening it so that the Spirit of God might whisper in and Jesus might say, trust me. Father, Lord, as we move to your table or as we stay and just pray or as we move to the back behind the curtains to have someone pray for us, Lord, all those are movements of saying, I trust you and I need you. And Lord, we're begging you, don't let us fall. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. The instructions for communion are up on the screen. There's people behind the screen if you want to pray. Come when you're ready.